0: presenting focus on truth the bible teaching ministry of chuck bradshaw focus on truth is a non-denominational evangelical christian ministry to the marketplace focus on truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of god and helping people understand the practical relevance of the bible join now with chuck as together we focus on the truth of god's word Well, we continue our study today. This is our fourth in our series of seven messages on, uh, on Christmas, and today our, our theme has to do with the whole idea of redemption. I remember when I was uh, much, much younger, much younger, and just uh, sort of almost knee-high to a grasshopper and lived over in the old uh, East Isle and Jordan City section of town, and my mom used to collect, among other things, S&H green stamps. And it was my—I guess I must have been a, a kid who had a lot of saliva because it was my job to lick and stick all of those stamps that she would bring home from the grocery store or other places where she stopped, where where she would shop, and stick those uh, stamps in these little books. And then she would put the books, as they were filled with stamps, into little boxes, and then the, it would all be stacked up in a corner over here somewhere, and it would just get bigger and bigger until one day. She would have enough of those books filled that she could go to a place called the SH Redemption Store. And uh, for having bought about $4,000 worth of groceries and other things, she could get a $15 toaster uh, almost free of charge. So, uh, anyway, uh, but, but we're talking, the theme today has to do with, the, with redemption. And notice the passage that I put in the little box at the top of your notes. They're from Galatians chapter 4, and this is from the New American Standard Bible. It says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the real message of Christmas The reason that God, that the incarnation took place, that that eternal God took on human flesh is so that he could redeem those people who were His. That is, he could buy them back. And in a few minutes, we're going to look and see why is it that we had to be bought back, what uh, what had happened to us. Now, just to kind of get our minds all in the same gear again, I put uh, about three or four verses that are just a little uh, sort of a refresher from the things that we've been talking about in previous weeks, from the passage, that passage there from Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 4 that has to do with the birth of Jesus. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Remember, Mary and Joseph were living up here in, in the province of Galilee in the city of Nazareth. And the, uh, the time frame is somewhere between Mary's third month of pregnancy and her ninth month of pregnancy, and it's probably later rather than earlier. And remember what happened. I mean, most pregnant women aren't real big about doing a lot of traveling, and it's, a, it's an 85 to 90-mile trip, and it's not exactly like going over Interstate Highway to get from Nazareth down here to Bethlehem, which is four miles uh, south of Jerusalem. Because remember, they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would cross the Jordan River and travel to the south and then recross the Jordan River down here in the area of Jericho, make their way around Jerusalem and go to Bethlehem. Nobody would want to make an 85 to 90-mile trip, particularly in the uh, late term of pregnancy. But they had to do so. And the reason they had to do so was twofold. The, the precipitating cause, you'll remember, was a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, did Caesar Augustus know Joseph and Mary? Not at all. They are just folks that were just living in this area. But Caesar Augustus, remember, as the emperor uh, of, uh, of Rome uh, and of the Roman Empire, uh, had a lot of expenses. He had a humongous army that he had to uh, feed. Uh, he had people he had to take care of. And so that just a tremendous amount of expenses involved in an empire that big. So one of the things that he needed to do was to see what kind of tax base he had. And in order to do that, he wanted to get people to register. And to get them to register, he wanted to send them back to their, to their home, to their, to their roots. And that's the reason that Joseph and Mary wound up here in Bethlehem. At least that's the precipitating reason. But we know that there's a, there's a reason beyond what Caesar Augustus decreed. And that is that hundreds of years prior to the time that Caesar Augustus even came into this world, the prophet Micah in chapter 5, verse 2, said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So, in Mary's pregnancy, uh, it was certainly not a problem for God, but, uh, it, but in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled, Mary was going to have to make this trip to Bethlehem where she would give birth to her firstborn. And in order to get that done, uh, God didn't uh, send the angel Gabriel back and say, hey, Mary, you and Joseph need to get on down there to Bethlehem. After all, you remember the prophet Micah said so and so and so and so so many years ago. No, rather what God did was he stirred up a pagan emperor named Caesar Augustus who passed a decree that caused Mary and Joseph to have to make this trip. But you really see you, you really see God's control of things, uh, all of the events that are going on around the Christmas story. So that's that's sort of the, the important thing from that. It says in verse 5, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to Him. Notice, uh, she's in late-term pregnancy, apparently, and Luke says they are still pledged to be married. There's been no consummation of the marriage. We know that there's already uh, been some talk. Uh, that talk would follow Mary and follow Jesus, all the days of Jesus' life, in fact, there are references to it in, uh, in John's gospel, even today, where when Jesus points out some things to the scribes and Pharisees that they don't like, their response to him is, well, we weren't born of fornication. And the implication is, you were, you know, we know about that past. We know about your mom and dad and all these kinds of things. Uh, so that, that had certainly, that would follow Jesus all this time. So that, that's just another little aside here. Uh, and verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a feed trough, probably made either out of wood or hewn out of stone, and if it were out of, well, if it were out of either material, it would be lined with, uh, with something, because there was no room for them in the inn. And it wasn't that the innkeeper was being a, a, a mean old man and saying, you know, I don't want women who get pregnant outside of marriage staying in my place. After all, you know, this is a fundamentalist end here. No, there's nothing like that uh, going on. He was just saying, uh, you just remember that it was a decree of Caesar that was getting all kinds of people down here to Bethlehem at this particular time. So the place was, it was just filled with activity. Uh, Again, I think I used the illustration um, last time. It would be like trying to find a motel room anywhere around Auburn or Opelika, Alabama on Friday night, on the Friday night before the Auburn, uh, Georgia game. There's just none to be had. If you're going to stay somewhere, it's probably going to be a cave somewhere or some place out behind somebody's barn. And that's the way it was, apparently, for them. Uh, We know that there were angelic announcements to the shepherds that occurred after that. We talked about that. The angels came to check that out, found it just as the angels had said, and then just they themselves went out and began to testify uh, according to what they had uh, what they had seen, now <clears throat> what we want to look at today is a part of Scripture that uh, that generally we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about. It's a it's a part of the story that we very often omit because it doesn't seem real germane to uh, to to the story. What we're looking at today is what happened between the eighth and fortieth days. Of Jesus life uh, that's where Luke uh, picks up the story in verse 21 the scene is still at Bethlehem Beth, uh, Jesus Mary and uh, and Joseph are still in Bethlehem at this point it says on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him and the referent of course is to Jesus he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Now remember the name Jesus means Yahweh or Jehovah saves. Now if you look in the left hand column of your notes at that first little passage there from Leviticus chapter 12 verses 1 through 3, notice uh, the reason that they took Jesus to either the synagogue or at least to a local rabbi there in, uh, in Bethlehem in order to perform this uh, particular function uh the passage from leviticus chapter 12 beginning at verse one says the lord said to moses say to the israelites a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days just as she is unclean during her monthly period on the eighth day the boy is to be circumcised so what is the reason that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day because that's what the law required. That's a, the, the People have been doing this for centuries. Uh, th- that's right. They're doing this for centuries. This is what God had told Moses there at the top of Mount Sinai, and this is what you do, and it was a great offense not to do this. What we want to see remember, is just what we read from that passage in Galatians chapter 4, that God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that is the law of Moses, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law. Now, some time passes between verse 21 and 22. It says, when the time of their purification, now their purification uh, actually ref, uh, refers to two different rites that are coming up and that we're going to look at. And uh, this involves uh, Mary and Joseph as well as the baby Jesus. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. Now notice the scene changes again. Now he was circumcised in Bethlehem, but now they go four miles north, up to the temple at uh, Jerusalem and notice what it says it says uh, they took him to present him Jesus to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord now what's that all about several events first of all we see the circumcision and that was at eight days Now there's something called consecration. What is that all about? We know about consecrating babies today. What was this all about? Well, again, if you look in the left-hand column of your notes at Numbers, the passage from Numbers chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, notice what God told Moses here. He says, you must redeem. Notice this is not optional you must redeem every firstborn son that would include jesus you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals when they are a month old you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver now what in the world is that all about well the roots of this consecration Go back to the old, uh, the, the time of Moses and to the Exodus when, the children, when God used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the, uh, out of the land of uh, Egypt and head them toward the promised land. Remember, uh, God had told Moses when he called him, he said, now I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and tell Pharaoh what? Let my people go. And he said, but I'm telling you ahead of time, Pharaoh's not going to be real happy about that, and he is not going to let him go. In fact, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. As a result of that, there were just plague after plague. In fact, a total of ten plagues that fell on Egypt. The first three plagues uh, fell on everybody, including the Israelites, and then beginning with plague number four, the Israelites were exempted, and the people of Egypt, by the time you got to the ninth plague, the whole country of Egypt was an environmental disaster. And in fact, Pharaoh's uh, advisors were begging him, please let these people go. Our land is already destroyed. Get these people out of here. Their God's going to kill us all if you don't. So Pharaoh's still reluctant. And then the 10th plague comes. And what was the 10th plague? The death of the firstborn and remember from pharaoh's house all the way down to the cattle in the stalls the firstborn died that night as the death angel passed over with the exception of in those homes where the uh, the passover lamb had been slain and some of that lamp some of the blood from the 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 sacrificed lamb had been collected and they'd take a little bush that was called hyssop it grew wild everywhere and they would dip that hyssop in the blood, and they would apply the blood to the doorposts and to the lintel. And every, when the death angel came through, everywhere the death angel on every home where the death angel saw that blood on the door, what did the death angel do? He passed over. That's where the term comes from. And as a result of that, God says, I have spared all these firstborn where the blood was there. He said, but those firstborn have to be redeemed. And the way you redeem those is through a payment. It it was a minimal payment of five shekels, and it was to be used at the temple, well, at that time, uh, the tabernacle, which was a mobile worship center. By now, that's gone, and a permanent structure called a temple is up. So isn't it ironic that the Redeemer himself, at about a month to 40 days old, Is here at the temple and the redemption price for him is being paid. But the point is, is that the reason they're doing this is why? Because that's what the law required. Now it's not over yet. Notice what it says in verse 24. Now verse 24 begins with a conjunction and. It's easy to miss this. And there was one other thing. So they were going to, they circumcised the baby on the eighth day, and then there was the consecration. And then there was one other thing that was to be done and it had to do with purification and it had to do, this had more to do with Mary than it had to do with Jesus, purification, but Joseph was involved as well. And besides the consecration of the baby and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. All right, so now there's a, There's a purification process that's going on. Now, what's that all about? I refer you to the left-hand column again to the passage from Leviticus chapter 12. And uh, first couple of verses we just read, but for context's sake, let's read it again. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, remember, that at this time the, that it was written, the tent of meeting is the old tabernacle. The tabernacle not around anymore. Now we've got a permanent structure called the temple. She is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering. Now, burnt offering was an offering of thanksgiving. And a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. <clears throat> now, here's where we've been headed. If she cannot afford a lamb, all right. Now, what is this? Uh, all things being equal, what is it that this woman is supposed to bring? She's supposed to bring a lamb. That's for the thanksgiving offering, the burnt offering, and she's supposed to bring either a dove or a pigeon, and that's for the sin offering. Two two different offerings here. Okay. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. And he says, Well, what's a big deal? Why are we even talking about this? Because it answers a question for us. What was the offering that Mary brought? She brought what? A pear of doves, or two young pigeons. Where was the lamb that Mary was bringing? She didn't have a lamb. Why didn't she have a lamb? She couldn't afford it. Now, what does that tell us also? Now, see, so, so we have to put on our, our Jacques Cousteau, not Jacques Cousteau, but uh, what, Clouseau, that's his name, uh, the Pink Panther guy, uh, Clouseau. Inspector Clouseau hat and we have to do a little detective work and we say, okay, now why is this important? Because if she was not able to afford to buy a lamb, what does this say about her economic status? Well, it's, she's poor, that's right. She and Joseph are a poor couple. Because of that, what does that tell us about by the time the 40th day arrived, where are the magi? They're not here. The reason we know that they're not there is because what were the gifts that they brought? Gold, incense, and myrrh. All three very valuable, very expensive things. And any of those could have been used to buy a lamb. Uh, there's another reason for that, but we won't get into that until next week when we actually look at the uh, visit of the Magi themselves. So, one of the uh, if uh, it's almost I know we're we're approaching Thanksgiving and it's almost time right after Thanksgiving to start putting up our little manger scenes. And uh, so, if you want to be uh, if you want to really be accurate when you put up your manger scene, it's okay to have a little stable there. Although the Bible never says he was born in a stable, could be. You could, if you have a cave, that would be okay too, to put that on your coffee table. And it's it's great to have an angel there making an announcement, and of course the little baby Jesus, and the couple Joseph and Mary, and it's great to have a few shepherds around. They're there. But there's no mention of the little drummer boy in the story. And at this point, the magi have not arrived. So if you really feel compelled to put out the the guys who are just dressed so spiffy and have the camels, my suggestion would be to put them out on the porch or in the utility room somewhere because they really haven't started toward this yet. In fact, as we'll see next time, when they arrive uh, at Bethlehem, uh, the mother and the baby are living in a house then. There's a good chance that the Magi arrive somewhere between the 40th day and the second year of Jesus' life. And we'll see uh, what Matthew has to say about that uh, as well. So this is a poor couple, and they've done everything according to the law. Now notice uh, at this point what happened. Now while they're there, while they're here in Jerusalem at the temple, it says now there was a man in Jerusalem. There are two people there that are going to say some really significant things, and they're related to this whole issue of redemption. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that term, consolation of Israel, is a euphemism for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, how do we know that? Keep reading. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen what? the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, now, that was not to circumcise him. That happened back in Bethlehem on the eighth day. This was to to pay that five shekels, that redemption money right here, as the law required. To do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, what was it that Simeon was looking at? He's looking at that baby. Notice, salvation is not in walking down an aisle. Salvation is not in signing a card. Salvation is not in occupying a pew. Salvation is in a person, and it's in the person of Jesus. Isn't it amazing that this little vulnerable, tiny baby who's only 40 days old, and whom, whom this old guy Simeon is holding in his arms, and he th- looks up and thanks God, and then he looks back into the face of that little baby, and then he looks back up and he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. The one you promised is here. Now you say, man, what must the parents have thought about that when they heard that? Well, we'll see here in just a minute. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Notice, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Notice, even here, Simeon notes that there's only one way uh, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of culture, and that's through Jesus. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, this is the one God has provided. This is the way, and Simeon says, I am looking at his face right now. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You know, we talk about Jesus as being uh, the one who brings peace to our lives, and that's true, he does. And he is the one who gives us inward peace. But what this is talking about here, and uh, Simeon is aware of that, is the same thing that Jesus said in his own ministry. He said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to set a father at odds with his son, a mother at odds with her daughter. And he just, you know, went through this whole list of kinfolks. Now, what, what does that mean? Does that mean come to Jesus and all your relationships come unglued? No, but it does mean that When Christ invades a life, when He comes into our life, our lives change so dramatically that what that is, if we've genuinely got the article, that what happens is it does affect our relationship with other people around us. Think about it. One one of the things that uh, we get used to people around us. We we develop certain coping skills. We may not like the things that people do. But we know how to get along with them. We know what to expect. I often tell husbands, uh, guys, I say, look, you need to know what makes your wife tick, what makes her tickled, and what makes her ticked off. Uh, those are all important things. And if we're students, not only of our uh, spouse, but our children and our grandchildren, we can learn those kinds of things. And what happens is then when somebody changes, it really bugs us. Because all of a sudden now the skills for coping with this person that we've had over all these years that are working so well, now they don't work anymore. And we find ourselves at odds with each other. And think about the cultural difference too. A lot of people in this day were all tied up in their traditions and their rituals. And when Jesus comes, he says, boy, I'm going to turn all of that upside down. So that's that's part of what Simeon's talking about here. And he says, and so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. One of the things that happens when God comes into our life by his spirit is he shows us things about ourselves, uh, and they're not pleasant things to look at. We discover, yes, the, the Bible is true, that my heart is desperately wicked, and I need the Lord Jesus. See, a lot of people want to know God, want to have God as their helper, but they're not interested in having God as their Savior. And there's a, there's a huge difference there. You see, if God is my helper, that means I'm in control of my life. It's kind of like the guy driving around with the sign on the front of his car that says, God is my copilot." pilot Well, what does a co-pilot do? Well, he, you know, he takes over if the pilot has to go to the restroom or if the pilot needs to take a nap. But, you know, but God is not a copilot. God is pilot himself. And uh, so we sort of need to, to keep those things in mind. Notice also it says, and he's speaking with Mary, and he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary uh, over those years, particularly once Jesus goes into uh, the ministry to which God had called him? Can you imagine how it must have hurt her to hear the things that people were saying about her son, and to see him rejected and crucified, I'm bloody and beaten beaten to such a pulp that he, he, she couldn't even recognize her own son. And Simeon is telling her here, because she doesn't understand all this completely. But, uh, in fact, in another passage it says, Mary just kept all of these things uh, in mind. Now, so here they are, they've, they've come to do the, 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 the redemption process for Jesus, the purification for Mary, and Simeon now has told them something that just, they're just marveling at. And before Simeon can get through talking, there's somebody else in the temple complex there. And it says there was also a prophetess, Anna. Now, a prophet is not just somebody who tells the future. The word prophet means a person who speaks forth for God. So this was a woman, a prophetess, one who spoke for God, named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. I think it's interesting that uh, there are, in some circles today, that uh, you'll hear people talk about the ten lost tribes of Israel. Well, they're not, they're not lost. In fact, here's one of them right here, Asher, and right here uh, living in, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. It says of Anna, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. What, what this is talking about is they'd gotten married, they lived seven years together, and then her husband died. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. At what moment? While they were there taking care of the business that the law required, and while Simeon... Is saying what he is saying all of a sudden this woman named Anna comes up at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to what to the redemption of Jerusalem to the buying back of Jerusalem again we see that the whole theme of Christmas is that of redemption why did God take on human flesh It wasn't so he could come and be our helper. It's so that he could come and be our Savior. And that meant having to die for our sins. Now, what happens at this point, uh, Matthew tells us about, and we're going to be looking at that uh, in the next couple of weeks. But notice the very next verse, as far as Luke is concerned, verse 39, it says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, circumcision, consecration, purification, they'd done all this stuff, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And they did. They did go back to Nazareth. However, they didn't go back there immediately. What we're going to discover beginning in our next session is when we look at the passage from Matthew chapter 2 that the, uh, the wise men show up, Herod is going to get really upset, and as a result of that, this little family is going to have to make their way down to uh, make their way down into Egypt, where they will stay for an, uh, at least, as far as the Bible is concerned, an undetermined period of time. We can pretty much figure it out from the uh, from the names of the uh, uh, the rulers, and we'll talk about that at the appropriate time. And then when they come back, what we'll see is that Joseph tries to bring his family back to the south, around here, around around Jerusalem. And uh, apparently, I, maybe Joseph was thinking, well, if, if this boy is going to be the ruler, he needs to be in this area. But what we'll see is because of the, the new ruler who had arisen, Joseph took his family and went back up to Nazareth where uh, Matthew also tells us that it might be fulfilled that he shall be called a Nazarene. So uh, Matthew kind of fills in the gap here that, uh, that Luke leaves out. Uh, Now, notice on the the second page of your notes, and we're not going to look at all of this because some of this is a a little bit of a review from what we did the very first week, but I I put it in your notes because it's such an important theme. We're talking about redemption. The word redeem uh, means to ransom or to buy back. Uh, the, The Greek word means to buy back at the uh, from to buy out of the marketplace by means of the payment of a price. Uh, and it, means, uh, it also means to buy out of the slave market. And the picture is, is that human beings are like slaves. In fact, the Bible says we are slaves to sin. It's as if we are standing in the marketplace and our wrists and our ankles are shackled and we have a chain around our neck and we are the prisoners of the old evil one because of the things that happened back in Genesis chapter 3 at the time of the fall, that we inherited that original sin. When we come into this world, the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're spiritually dead when we come into this world. And what God has done by his grace and mercy is he comes to his people by his Spirit and what he does is he regenerates us. He brings us back to life spiritually. And when he does, he grants us faith. He grants us repentance. And we express that faith uh, in Christ. And when we express that faith, the chains drop off. And we are free. He has redeemed us. He has brought us, he has bought us out of the uh, slave market. Notice uh, the passage from Hebrews 2. 2 that's in your notes there it says since the children have flesh and blood he too and the referent to the he there is the son or jesus since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps. Notice, when when Christ came, he came in what form? As a human being, as a man. He did not come in the form of an angel. He didn't come to help angels. He came in the form of a human being. Notice, he goes on to say, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now, isn't that amazing? Because we would naturally, since, since Jesus took on human form, since God took on human form, we would naturally think that the way this would read was, for surely it is not angels he helps. Oh, yeah, I understand that. But Adam's descendants. And see, that would be everybody everywhere. But that's not what it says. It says, the ones he helps are Abraham's descendants. Well, now who are Abraham's descendants? Well, remember, Abraham had several descendants. First one, where he he and Sarah tried the do-it-yourself thing, and let's uh, let's get in a helper here, an Egyptian handmaid, was a kid named Ishmael. And then God said, No, I've rejected him. Uh, the promise is going to come through Isaac, whom whom Sarah will bear. And then remember uh, that Isaac and Rebekah had two boys, and the older boy was named Esau. And God said, before they were even born, said, no. The older will actually serve the younger. And later on, God would say, Esau, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. So what you see is you see God dealing with his people In terms of the covenant God had made the promise to Abraham that I will make your descendants like the stars in the sky like the sand on the seashore but it was it was a covenant promise it will come through these people and of course the New Testament specifically tells us in the book of Galatians that if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise so the point here is Surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that is, those who are of faith, faith in Christ. For this reason, it says, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Notice, God had to come in human form. He couldn't just, he couldn't just, remember, in the Old Testament, uh, well, actually, when you read the book of Hebrews and it comments on the Old Testament, and it comments on the Old Testament sacrifices. He says, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. In fact, all those sacrifices were just a constant reminder of what sinners we are. And he says, that's why God took on human flesh, so that he could represent us. You know, you've got, essentially you've got this, you've got God... You've got man, and I mean humankind here if you prefer that word, and you've got Jesus in between. Jesus is the God-man. He represents, because he is the God-man, he represents God to us. Jesus, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. And because he's man, he's able to represent us before God. He's the perfect mediator, and the only way that was possible was through the incarnation that God himself had to take on human flesh. He took on our humanity. He, 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 didn't, he had a human nature. He didn't have a sinful nature, and because uh, if he'd had a sinful nature, then when he died, he would have died for his own sins and not, uh, not for ours. Let's keep reading. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, we, we, we look at the picture here at Christmas and we see the little baby in the manger. And that's true. All of that, All that's true. And yet that little baby is no longer in manger. In fact, not a little baby anymore. That little baby grew up and became a man. And that man lived a perfect life and preached and was crucified and rose from the dead. And now is it has ascended and sits at God's right hand, the place of power and the place of honor. So let's, let's be careful uh, when we think about Christmas. The whole reason that Jesus came was to take on human flesh for the purpose of redeeming his own people. That was, that was the way that God could do it. Notice the passage, two other passages, uh, in the left-hand column of your notes, that very last little section there, the perfect redeemer of part D under Roman numeral 3. The passage from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, uh, Jesus is, himself is speaking. And he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as what? A ransom for many, a redemption. To buy back, I came to buy back people. With my own life, I'm buying your life. And then Peter comments on all of this later. Later where he writes in 1 Peter 1 beginning at verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Think about that. The fall in Genesis 3 did not surprise God whatsoever. God had already determined within within the context of the Godhead, the members of the Godhead had already determined that the second person of the Godhead would one day, at exactly the right time, when the fullness of time came, that the second person of the Godhead would step out of eternity and into time and space and take on our humanity for the express purpose of redeeming us from our sins that we have inherited originally from old Adam back in the Garden of Eden. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, and the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. Isn't it interesting that uh, if you look at the conclusion there, The truth is, and beginning at part B, because God is holy, righteous, and perfect, our sin merits only condemnation from him. While it's true that God is love, the scriptures also affirm that God's light, that is, that he's pure, that he's holy. And if God were to fail to judge sin, he would be inconsistent with his own nature, but because of his sovereign love for his people, he's chosen to redeem his own. And he requires perfection, something that none of us could ever provide. But God has provided what he requires in the person of his Son. And because he's perfect and sinless, he's the only acceptable sacrifice, the only acceptable price that God will take. Again, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God would not only buy us back, God would not only forgive us our sins, but God would step out from behind the bench and lay aside his robe as a judge and put his arm around us and say, I want you to come and live with me he would adopt us into his family. Praise be to God for the great message of redemption that's found in this marvelous story of Christmas. Father, thank you again so much for your kindness and mercy and grace and goodness and love. Again, we're just overwhelmed with how good you are. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you do care for us. Thank you for the perfect provision you've made in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we face this Christmas season... You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.